This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Today begins a new sermon series, What I Believe and Why. I want to reiterate what our shepherd Wade Weathers shared and remind you to take note of the wonderful handout that our staff prepared uh, that will share with you a little bit about what our Bible class schedule looks like on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and also on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Uh, we had a wonderful class in the Family Life Center this morning and a good crowd, a good crowd here today. And in our other classes, our children's classes are in full swing and we feel like God has, has really blessed us through a very difficult and, and trying time and it's not over yet. We understand that. Just like we understand that the battle is not done. Uh, this is still my father's world, but the battle isn't done. And we look forward to that day when heaven and earth shall be one as we just sang. And so for the next several weeks, I want us to discuss what I believe and why. I feel like in a very tumultuous time in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our states, and in our nation, in our world, as, as Wade shared during that prayer, that it's a good time for us to take a breath, take a step back, and take a look at the things that we truly believe, some of those core doctrines that really speak to us and affect us every day of our lives, and also why we believe those things. It's important for us to be reminded of our convictions and to be reminded of what Scripture says as we consider our convictions and develop them and cultivate them to become more and more what God wants us to be. And as I thought about where to start, there were a lot of things that came to mind. I could start with the inspiration and authority of Scripture, which is a great place to start, and where we'll look in a few weeks, a couple of weeks. I could start with the uh, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the response of faith uh, to believe that story, to repent of our sins, to change our lives, uh, to confess that faith and to be baptized into Jesus Christ. We'll share about that this coming week. But I decided to start at a different place today. And I hope as we go through this series that you will not just consider these things and, and think through them and consider through the scripture passages that I'll share, but that you'll also invite others to take a listen on our website or to perhaps uh, be able to come here with you or to uh, watch the, um, the online service live from their own homes and then to interact with them a bit. These are questions that I think people have and these are beliefs that I think we sometimes wonder about, especially in conversations with others who may not share these same convictions. And so thinking through all of that and, and asking myself, where should we begin? We have a lot of folks that are watching us online still, and we're grateful for your presence and for uh, your ministry uh, for Christ away from this place. We have, a, again, a wonderful group that's gathered here today. And for all of us, whatever we're going through, whatever the situation is, whatever is... Uh, present in our condition, 
whatever is ahead. I thought that the right place to start is with this core belief, which is, I believe this is still my father's world. I realize that for many that has been put to the test this year and that there have been times in people's lives where we wondered what is going on. And there are still times where we wonder what is going on. And in the future, there will be times, no matter who wins the election, there will be times when we wonder what is going on. Is this still my father's world? And I'm here to tell you today that I believe very strongly that this is still my father's world. That that song we sang just a few moments ago is every bit as true today as it ever has been. And so I want to share a couple of things and then a conclusion and um, get this series started. What I believe and why. And be able to speak to some of the issues that we have, but none perhaps is as needed, none perhaps is more essential than where we start today. This is still my father's world. And so a couple of things about that. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. And that's why this is still my father's world. He hasn't gone anywhere. (laughs) And he's also not surprised by anything that's going on. He knows about it long before it happens. And he knows how he is going to carry us through it as well. Because God is still with us. This is still my father's world. In spite of how things may seem at times. And in this world, there will always be good times and bad. There will always be successes and failures. There will always be triumphs and defeats. There will always be moments and days and years that we want to remember forever. And some, sadly enough, that we would just as soon forget all about. Either way, this is still my father's world. And either way, in both cases, God is still with us. He is still present with us. His presence does not depend on everything happening the way I want it to happen. His presence is with us even when that is not the case. This is still my father's world. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. And I want us to begin today in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. This is the 8th century B.C., the 700s B.C. And you remember your Bible history, the nation of Israel was united under King Saul and King David and his son, King Solomon. But then King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, didn't use good judgment and the kingdom divided into the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah, faithful to the line of David and its capital, Jerusalem. Well, in the 8th century B.C., in the 700s, the Assyrians were the world power and they threatened the northern kingdom of Israel, ultimately took them into captivity, as we'll see today. And they also threatened the southern kingdom of Judah, but it was spared because of a faithful prophet and a faithful king. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. 
King Hezekiah was that faithful king, but his father in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 7 is the one who is on the throne, and that is King Ahaz. And so we begin reading in Isaiah 7, verse 1, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David, that's the southern kingdom of Judah and King Ahaz, uh, was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, or the northern kingdom of Israel. So the hearts of King Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And so here's what's going on. It's the 8th century BC, I'm not sure exactly when, perhaps around 730s or something like that. BCE, and as King Ahaz is on the throne in Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel and its king allies itself with the king of Syria. And what they want to do is they want to take over the southern kingdom of Judah. And they want to put their own guy on the throne, as we're going to see in just a moment. This is part of what Wade shared in that prayer, mankind's everlasting struggle for power. And it was just as true in the 8th century B.C. as it is right now today in the 21st century C.E. So we keep reading. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, because of this conspiracy that was happening, King Ahaz and his heart melted and all the people in, in Judah, their hearts melted and they were afraid. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, God provided Isaiah and his children as signs for the king. Go out and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, verse 4. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. And that's their plan. Uh, the old song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, that's where they were, this everlasting struggle for power still. And so they look at the southern kingdom of Judah and they look at King Ahaz, the descendant of David, and they say, We'll never convert him. He'll never come around to us, so let's just, let's just have a coup. Let's combine forces ourselves, the king of Syria and the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and let's do battle against the king of Judah. And let's put our own guy on the throne there, whoever this son of Tabeel was. Isaiah says in verse 7 of Isaiah 7, Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, that's the capital of Syria, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin, its king. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, the capital of Israel. The head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son, its king. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I love how God considers these world leaders. (laughs) Oh, they're just two smoldering stubs of firewood. He had said earlier, don't get upset. Don't worry about these two kings. Who is in power here? It's just this guy in Damascus. It's just this other guy in Samaria. It's not 
going to happen. They threaten the king of Judah and they threaten everybody in the kingdom. And they're all shaking out of fear, out of concern. And as they do that, they call on God. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to the king and he tells him, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about those two guys. Don't worry about this threat. Don't call conspiracy everything they call conspiracy. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And that sounds pretty good to us, right? Isn't there a scripture somewhere that says you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test? Seems like Jesus remembered that one when he was being tempted by Satan. But in this case, it's not an act of faith by King Ahaz. An act of obedience would be to tell the prophet, okay, sure, I'd like a sign. That would be great. That would help a lot. But he's afraid, and he doesn't do that, even though Isaiah had welcomed that. Then Isaiah said in verse 13, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? (laughs) So he was unfaithful in not accepting God's offer for a sign. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, the young woman, will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Isaiah tells King Ahaz, this is going to happen. You don't have to be afraid. Tell the people, you don't have to be afraid. And he says, God will give you a sign. And here's the sign. A young woman in the Old Testament Hebrew language, that's what the term means. We'll talk about Matthew 1 in just a moment and how significant a difference that term is. But the term here is a young woman. Here's your sign, uh, King Ahaz. A young woman will have a child. And before that child can tell right from wrong, within just a matter of years, the two kings you fear will be laid waste. Their kingdoms will be gone. These ones who have conspired against you together to form a a seemingly insurmountable uh, enemy, they will be destroyed and God will do it and God will do it in his own way. And here's what's going to happen. God will bring the king of Assyria and he will destroy them. And that's exactly what happened within just a few years of these words. The king of Assyria in that everlasting struggle for power decided it's time for us to take over the world. And so he went and he threatened Syria or Aram and destroyed it and its capital city of Damascus. And then he threatened the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital city of Samaria. And even though they had been God's people, they had broken away from God and his will. And the Assyrians destroyed them in 722 and 721 BC. And the words that Isaiah had prophesied years before came to pass. 
there will be a little boy running around in the community. His mother will have named him Emmanuel, God with us. And before he's old enough to choose right from wrong, God will be with you and he will deliver you. And those who oppose you and threaten you will be destroyed. We look ahead to the next chapter in Isaiah chapter 8. And Isaiah comes back to this whole scenario. Um, In verse 9 of Isaiah 8. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. Why? For God is with us. The term Emmanuel. Not just a little child's name that's running around, but the whole idea behind that name that God is with us. And that's why all those plans and all those threats and all those conspiracies of other nations against God's people, when they were looking towards the Father, they were successful and their enemies were defeated. This is what the Lord says to me, verse 11, with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Verse 12 of Isaiah 8, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Now, perhaps you haven't heard this, but there are a few conspiracy theories going around today. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. And there's some on the right, and there's some on the left, and we are inundated with them. If you're on social media or if you watch the news, you hear about it. If you follow the news at all, you hear about it. And I want you to know I'm not here today to say that they're true or not true. I'm here today to say to the child of God, ultimately, it doesn't matter if they are true or not true. Will it affect my life, Bill? Possibly. Will it make my life here better or worse? Likely. But ultimately, it will not matter. Because our God is still with us and this is still my father's world he is still the one on the throne in heaven no matter who is dwelling in the white house in washington and if that's not the underlying component of your faith then your life will either rise or fall based on the most current or the next election And they come every two years. And for the White House, every four years. And if that's where you're basing your security, then these conspiracy theories are going to scare you to death. But if your faith and your trust is in the Lord God in heaven, who created the heaven and the earth, who looks at world leaders and those who threaten his will and calls them smoldering sticks of wood. You will be okay if your trust is in him. 
That doesn't mean we don't seek to make this world a better place. We do. That doesn't mean we don't seek to pray as Wade did very appropriately for our leaders. Scripture calls on us to do that, actually. It just means that our underlying faith is in a God that this world cannot touch, cannot overcome. And because of that, they can't overcome us. They're just smoldering sticks of wood that God will allow to smolder until he decides to put them out, and then he will. We remember these passages from Isaiah from a couple of other passages in the New Testament. I mentioned the first one in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew 1, Matthew looks back to these words of Isaiah and puts on them a different tone in the Greek language. It's no longer a young woman. It is a virgin. Very significant. Specific. Why? Because as the angel is talking to Joseph, he says his name will be Emmanuel because God is with us. And what is conceived in her in Mary that you are unsure about now to Mary, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so he will be called Emmanuel, God with us, in a very special and direct way. And then we turn also to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Towards the end of the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 3, there's this whole uh, message to people who are struggling. In the first century, Christians who were being persecuted. It's not that their guy didn't win the last election. It's that they didn't have a guy at all or a party or even a place at the table. They were refugees. They were people who had fled their homeland because of persecution. And now they were in somebody else's land where somebody else's language was spoken. And in the midst of all of that, Peter gives them hope and he tells them, even though you are exiles, even though you are resident immigrants, God is with you. And so you don't have to be afraid of what other people are afraid of. And that's exactly what he says as he looks back to Isaiah 7 and 8 in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll read beginning at verse 13. 1 Peter 3 verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, verse 17, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We'd like to not suffer at all if it's okay, God, and it's all right to pray that prayer. But if we're suffering because we're trusting in you, if we're suffering because we're doing the right thing and good rather than evil, then so be it. We don't have to fear what they fear. We don't have to call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. We don't have to be afraid of their threats. Peter tells these people who were on the bottom of the social power scale, who had zero authority in their culture and society, 
He tells them you don't have to be afraid. Because God is still with us. Later on, he tells them and reminds them of where the basis of that faith is. And he tells them because Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, the response of faith in that sacrifice now saves you. Specifically, baptism now saves you. Not taking a bath, not putting off physical dirt, because this isn't about anything physical, whether you're talking about kingdoms or flesh. But he says it's the quest, it's the search, it's the desire, it's the journey for a good conscience before God. A right relationship with the creator, with the one who actually is on the throne. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. And he is with us today just as surely he was with King Ahaz in the 8th century BCE. Just as surely he was in the days of Joseph and Mary when Jesus was born. Just as surely as he was in the days of the 1st century persecuted church. Violently persecuted. God was still with them. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. And then secondly today, God has a great history of bringing good out of bad. And so this is not to say that things aren't bad at times in this world. They are. They have been. And granted, they could get worse. We just don't know. But we do know this. God has a great history of bringing good out of bad. He's never promised that everything that happens to us will be good. What he has promised is, even in the worst of situations that this world gives... He can still accomplish his will, and he can still bring good from it. How do you know that, Bill? Well, just a casual reading of Scripture, maybe. (laughs) We see it in several characters, and you can look at their stories. Joseph, of course, sold out by his brothers, ends up as as a slave and then a prisoner in Egypt and rises to power and saves his people. Why? Because several times through that passage, at the worst of moments in Joseph's life, during those 13 years, it says, but God was with Joseph. In the story of Esther, during the time of the exile, such a wonderful, beautiful story, where this woman, apparently without her parents, she was trusting in her guardian, Mordecai, a relative, and ends up as the queen of Persia and saves her people by very faithfully, very courageously going before the king uninvited. For such a time as this, Mordecai told Esther. We see the death of Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends in John 11, and Mary and Martha both meeting Jesus as he traveled there after several days. And their brother, who had been ill, and they sent word to Jesus, and then her brother died because Jesus hadn't come. And first Martha, then Mary, run out to meet Jesus before he ever arrives at the tomb. And they tell him the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And yet Jesus tells Martha, and he tells us today, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it becomes such an important witness to the people of that day that the Jewish leaders decide they not only have to put Jesus to death, they have to kill Lazarus too. 
And then this great passage in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 is where it's actually found, that scripture, Romans 8, 28. How God works all things together for our good. To those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. A couple of things about Romans 8, 28. Number one, it doesn't say that everything that happens to people who trust in God is good. That is not true. It's just not true. Sometimes bad things happen to us because of our faith doesn't save us from anything but it does say that God is with us during those times it does say that God is still on the throne during those times that this is still my father's world during those times and so it tells us that if God is for us verse 31 who can be against us It tells us in verse 37, in all these things, the good and the bad, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what's going on in the world around us, God is still with us and he has a great history of bringing good out of bad. And so we continue to live by faith just like that illustration that Kelly used as we gathered around the table, celebrating the act that gives us life, but also gives us hope and gives us peace. God has a great way of bringing good out of bad. So as we close today, a couple of scriptures and a couple of thoughts. I believe that this is still my father's world. In spite of how things seem at times, God is still with us. And he has a great history of bringing good out of bad. So in the good times and in the not so good times, we know that this is still my father's world. Jesus, as he gave them the great commission, gave us the great commission. At the end of Matthew 28, telling us to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that he's commanded us. And if that's where it ended, that would be shocking. (laughs) We would say, we could never do that. But it doesn't end with verse 19. It ends with verse 20 when Jesus says, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is still my father's world Jesus is still Lord and then that great verse in John 16 verse 33 Jesus says in the world you'll have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world the battle belongs to the Lord and he has won he has won and so this morning if you need help and encouragement living that way We encourage you to come. If you need to go and talk with our shepherd, Wade Weathers, during our closing song and after, feel free to do that in room 112. And as he shared, that'll be something that's available to our members every Sunday. If you would rather come to the front and have prayer or seek the will of God through baptism, we'd love to help you with that. As we sing this great song, this great hymn of faith, I believe this is still my father's world because the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's stand and sing.